a brand new episode of Virtual Coffee. My name is Alexa Collier, and on this podcast, I chat with small business owners and dive into their stories, life journeys, perspectives, pieces of advice. I also will do solo episodes where I share what's been on my mind lately in terms of frameworks or books I'm reading or thoughts I have that will hopefully accelerate you in your life and in your career. Now on today's episode, we're going to dive into the book called Essentialism, which I've been reading for a couple of weeks now and I just think is fantastic. So really looking forward to sharing my thoughts on it, kind of going through the book a bit. You might hear me rustle through the pages as I have it right in front of me but wanted to share my reflection and thoughts on the book itself. Before we get into today's episode, of course, I would greatly appreciate if you could rate and review Virtual Coffee on the Apple Podcasts app. Helps us out. It really helps others find our podcast who could benefit from it and uh, would want to listen. And you can also follow us on social medias, Instagram, Facebook, all the socials. It's at Virtual Coffee Podcast. As always, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And let's dive in. So diving into this episode with a quick life update that I think is timely to the book. Um, I took yesterday and today today is tuesday the day i'm releasing this episode because sometimes that's how things work here Um, i took monday and today off just for rest and recovery days uh, which i think we really all need to do more often (laughs) i actually have a ton of pto to use just because i haven't used it throughout the year and was getting a bit tired burnt out so decided to take two days of of PTO to rest and recover. And it's been really, really nice. I think I'm ready to go back tomorrow and hit the ground running again. So if you're looking for a sign to take some time off just for yourself, this is your sign to do it. I just stayed around the house, read, watched TV, did things with Nathan and the pups. I didn't do anything too crazy, but it was very nice and very much needed. Um, That's probably the, the biggest life update here. But why why I think that's relevant to today's episode is because essentialism is all about the pursuit of less. So less is more. So essentialism is a book by Greg McEwen. Greg, if you're listening, I apologize if I'm pronouncing your last name wrong. But it's about eh, a little over 200, 250-page book. Pretty easy read in the sense that I find it's very easy to digest, which is great, um, especially when you're reading more of a businessy career type book. It's very hard to read one that's hard to digest. You have to think about what you learned on every page. This book is really nice. It's split up into very clear sections throughout the whole book. I encourage you to read it, not sponsored. I encourage you to read it because in every chapter and section. Greg dives into real life examples of people who've gone through what he's talking about. He'll explain it and then usually give very actionable things you can do to then execute on that thing he's talking about. So the book is really split up into four 
main parts, essence, explore, eliminate, and execute. So he first dives into the essence of being an essentialist. Part of the essence of that is those three things, exploring, eliminating, and executing. So within each of those parts, he has several chapters that he dives into what those four things really mean. Um, And the whole book is about breaking down being an essentialist versus non-essentialist. And I really like throughout the book, he has columns or he has a lot of visuals, which is nice, but he also has columns where he'll say, oh, this is what a non-essentialist would think or do versus what an essentialist would think or do. So you can kind of compare where you're at currently, like, oh, for making buffers right now, I'm more of a non-essentialist versus, oh, actually, I think I have some essentialist tendencies. So you can easily apply it to your life, which again, I really, really like, especially for a more businessy book. So that first part, essence, really the essence of an essentialist. A lot of S's here. Hopefully my my mic is not catching the S sounds too harshly. But a part of being an essentialist and the essence of that is choice. This was a big lesson early on in the book that really got me thinking that if you don't make your choices, someone else will for you. Choice is something we all have, but we need to be able to execute on it. So choice can be easily forgotten. Um, Most people maybe aren't making their own choices. They're relying on others to do it for them. And that's happening subconsciously. So an example that he gave from his book, I'm paraphrasing here, this is not direct quote, but he was at his child's birth in the hospital with his wife. And The child had just been born, you know, he's sitting there with his wife and newborn kid, and he had agreed to go to this client meeting. So as much as he didn't want to, you know, hours or shortly after his child was born, he stepped out and hopped on a call, the client call. And he thought, okay, I'm going to show up, you know, this is going to be great, you have to show up, you can't say no. And actually the clients on the call were like, why the heck are you here? (laughs) Like your kid was just born. Get off this meeting. What are you doing? And he was explaining how those clients actually lost respect for him for saying yes in that situation. He essentially let that choice be made for him by others, right? His boss asked him to be on that meeting. So he said, okay, my boss asked me to. As opposed to understanding his priorities, understanding what's essential to him and declining that meeting because his child was just born. So that was a really nice lesson that you own your life. Don't let others own it for you. Like as soon as you think of it like that, it's like, wow, yeah, I don't want anyone else to make my choices. I want to make my choices. And it kind of helps you get that power back. Another piece of this essence part in the book is explaining that almost everything is unimportant. So that's a really big theme about being an essentialist is you recognizing that only a key few things are essential. Mostly everything in life, in your job, is non-essential. One thing I really liked that he (laughs) described in the book is that the word priorities, why is that even plural? How can you have multiple priorities? Like the definition of priority is that it's the most important, the top thing. And he was explaining that priorities was actually never a plural word until 
X amount of years ago when we made it plural. It's funny, like thinking of all the meetings you've been in that where they say, oh, what are our top five, 10 priorities? And when you really think about that, it's interesting. Like, how can you have that many priorities? That, again, got me thinking that what really is the top priority? What is my purpose in life? Not to get too deep, but what's my thing I want to do? What is my priority? And sure, you can have priorities in the sense that, yeah, my family is a priority, but so are XYZ things about my job. But in your career, what what's your one priority? And kind of basing your decisions off of that. And there's this one visual in the book where it's describing how if you put your energy into multiple things or multiple priorities, you can't go very far with those things. However, if you put your energy and direct it into one priority, suddenly you succeed so much in that one thing because you're letting it have all your energy as opposed to divvying up your energy to multiple things. You can only do things to 50% instead of the 110 if you put your time and energy into that one thing. And that really hit nicely for me. Again, another good takeaway in that it's very easy to say yes to a million billion things, but it's actually in the long run going to help you out if you understand what you want to put your time and energy into and saying yes to those things. Um, And he dives really deep into uh, other chapters of how to say no to things and that While it might be awkward at first and you might have some awkwardness in that relationship with the person you're saying no to at first, in the long run, they'll end up respecting you more because you're protecting your time and you're putting your energy and succeeding in one or two few things that you are saying yes to as opposed to running yourself thin. Now you're burnt out. You forgot to do that one thing you said yes to someone a week ago. You forgot about that project that's due in a week it it can just so easily spiral out Um, and another important thing of understanding when to say no and being an essentialist is understanding the trade-offs you're making so he greg in in the book is fully aware and acknowledges that yeah when you say no to something you are saying no to an opportunity and that can be very hard to deal with but you have to trust yourself that you know that that's not the best thing that you should say yes to. It might be a good opportunity, even a great opportunity, but is it the best opportunity for you? And by saying no, you're acknowledging that your something better will come along, the best thing will come along, or you want to stay focused on what you're currently focusing on. Understanding and and really getting deep with what those trade-offs are and understanding what problem you want to deal with, right? Because there are so many problems and opportunities we can say yes to, but what's the one that you want to put your time, energy, and expertise into. So the whole book is really just about taking back your time, protecting your time, protecting your energy so that you can focus on the essential few. So that was the essence part, really just explaining and diving into essentialism and kind of the higher level themes of being an essentialist. And the next part is explore. Now, this had a lot of great action items as well, as do all the chapters, but he started out in the explore section by explaining why it's so important to be unavailable and give your time to think. This is something I 
obviously know I do block time on my calendar for get stuff done time. I block it every week. Yes, some meetings still creep in. I'm trying to be better about that. But the way he explained it is that you need to give yourself time to sit there and think about something. Even if you're not on your computer or writing anything down, it's just so important to think. Um, and this, again, rang true for me in Yes, I have my get stuff done time, but I use that time to actively work on a presentation or actively work on a project or building an agenda, whatever the task is. But I learned that I also need to build in just plain thinking time by myself alone, just thinking about the task I'm doing before I actually dive in. So that was a thought I had is just not all your get stuff done time needs to be actionable. I mean, thinking is an action, so that's still actionable. Um, that's still making progress. And I, I think even that is something we struggle with as a society is, oh, you're just sitting there thinking you must be doing nothing when actually that can sometimes be the most productive thing you can do with your time is just sit there and think. Another interesting part of this explore section was the emphasis on play and embracing your inner child. So literally playing. What are things you can do to introduce into your office space or with your team that encourage that playness like we used to do as kids? There are a bunch of studies he cites in the book that show giving that playtime really increases creativity, innovation. And I mean, it makes sense. Like who wants to just walk into an boring plane office and work eight, nine hours and have no fun time. Uh, I mean, even on, on my team in my office, you know, once a month we'll do pancake day where we make pancakes in the morning. Like to me, that's play. That's fun. And on those days, it's true. You walk in with a little more pep in your step, ready to eat pancakes for 20 minutes and then go on with your day. It kind of all puts a smile on our face. And even during that time when we're making those pancakes, we might be talking about a project or just kind of bouncing ideas off each other. And it, it really is true, that play piece. Um, so trying to think through things you can introduce with your team that encourage play and, and fun time. And also, he emphasized the importance of sleep, which I think we all know, but is sometimes hard to do <laughs> to guarantee yourself eight hours of sleep at night. I think I do a pretty good job at it, but can be, I think, more consciously or more conscious about it. And he was saying in the book that as type A personality, which I definitely am, you think, oh, I got this. I can take everything on. I don't need sleep. Sleep is for the week. You know, sleep is a waste of time. During that time, I can be doing something productive and again, he cites a lot of studies and research that shows people who get their eight hours actually perform much better. Yes, they have less time, but the time that they have, they are well rested and can use it better. So again, less is more. Less time, but they are more there. Their brain's more active because they gave their brain time to rest and recover. So embracing sleep, which again, I feel like we just don't really do. I mean, I think it's just it's so important. And there are definitely studies and research out there that proves that. Um, and then a, another piece of the explore part is selection. So having extreme criteria to make your selection. I think this goes along with other things I've embraced over 
my career so far, like your design principles, like what are your principles that help you make decisions? And I think this is very similar um, is having your extreme criteria. So when you have an opportunity come across your plate, what are the three criteria it must pass? And then what are the next three criteria that it should have? So if it has all three in the first round, it moves on to the next round. And if it has two out of three, then you say yes. But if it fails any of those criteria rounds, then you say no. It's not for you. It's, it doesn't fit your criteria. It won't benefit you. No. That kind of moves into the next part, which is eliminate. And this is all about saying no, which is very hard to do. What I really like about the book is that he gives you actual phrases or strategies to help you say no so that you're not just flat out saying a blunt no, which is really, really nice. Let's see if I can turn to it really quickly. I just thought it was cool he listed those out because you can really reference them when you're in a situation and you know you need to say no. Because I think that it's easy to know when you should say no. I think we all kind of know that. And yeah, there are good tips and tricks and best practices and things that got me thinking more into why I need to be saying no to certain things. But it's really hard to say no. So on page 140 of the book, he has the no repertoire. And so he has some, I think, eight strategies you can use to say no. So the first one is the awkward pause. This one's kind of funny, but when someone in person is asking you to do something and you want to say no, just pause, count to three, and say your verdict. Or he says, if you get a bit more bold, simply wait for the other person to fill in the void, which I think is really funny. Just staying silent until the other person speaks again. Maybe I'll try that out. Uh, then there's the soft no or the no but. Like, hey, I'd love to do that. I can't right now. How about later? That's kind of the, the softer no but. Which I think you need to be careful with that because if you just say no now but yes to later, now your later is non-essential, right? So I'd be careful with using that one. Um, there's the classic, let me check my calendar and get back to you. So this one allows you to say, hey, I'll get back to you on that. Let me check my calendar. And then you can come back and say, I checked my calendar. Unfortunately, I don't have availability. Sorry. Uh, use email bounce backs. I really liked this one and we'll try to try it in my job is we no, we all have bounce backs when we're on PTO. Hey, sorry, I missed you. Get back to you. Which, side note, I think we should stop saying sorry in our email bounce backs when we are on PTO. Do not apologize for being on PTO. Just say, hey, I'm on PTO. I'll get back to you on this X date. Do not apologize for that. <laughs> side note, that is not in the book. That is my personal opinion that I've had lately. Um, but back to the book, Greg is saying, Use those bounce backs to say, hey, I'm in flow right now. I'll get back to you end of day. Or, hey, I'm working on this big project. Responses will be delayed for XYZ days. I really like that. And I actually have been using that as my Microsoft Teams status. I'll write, going heads down on, on a deliverable, responses may be delayed to end of day, uh, which I think really helps. It just is being transparent with people. Hey, I'm working on something right now. I'll get back to you in two hours. There's nothing wrong with that. And it helps you be less distracted because you know you have that status. Okay, people know I'll get back to them by end of day. So they know I won't answer their message right away. So I don't need to check that message right away. Um, another strategy he has is say yes, but then ask what should I deprioritize? And 
he says, and I agree with this, that this is a great one to use when you need to say no to a superior. So your boss, manager, what have you. I like this one. I think I've used this before. I should use it more saying, hey, I would love to take that on. But out of the list of these three projects that I'm currently on, what one should I deprioritize? Or, hey, I'd love to take that on. I don't think I can fully commit though. Can you help me reprioritize my work? And that helps your manager or your leader who's asking you to do that thing to rethink like, oh, okay, actually, I want you to focus on what's already on your plate. I'll go ask someone else or actually take off that one thing. Someone else can do it or we can put it on pause for now. Focus on this project. And that really helps you not have to say no to your superior because that can be really hard but also make sure your plate doesn't get too full and that you're doing non-essential tasks. Say it with humor. That one, yeah, I think can be used appropriately. His example was a buddy of his asked if he wanted to train with him for a marathon. And he said, my response was a simple nope. And his buddy kind of laughed and said, ah, you practice what you preach. Um, So that one's kind of obvious and you can use that in the appropriate situation. The seventh strategy is use the words you are welcome to X, I am willing to Y. Um, The example he gave is if someone asked, hey, can I use your car? You can say, hey, I'd be happy to give you the keys. You can drive it for the day. So you're not committing to driving them, which I think is good. It's kind of being transparent of what you're willing to do. I kind of think of this as if someone asked me to help review their presentation, I could say, hey, I'm willing to give 20 minutes that's what I'm willing to do. Um, You're welcome to book 20 minutes on my calendar. Like just being very transparent with the amount of time or energy you're willing to give that ask. And the last one is I can't do it, but someone else might be interested. This is helpful. Again, use, I think use this one appropriately. Don't just give someone else the work because you don't want, you can't do it or don't want to do it. Like make sure you're intentional with the person you're saying who might be able to pick that up, whether it's their expertise or you know they have capacity. Um, you don't just want to dump your nose onto someone else just because they're your your go-to person and give more work to. So of course, be intentional with that one as well. But I think those are all great strategies on how to say no and saying no appropriately. And it, yeah, can be awkward, but using some of those techniques makes it a lot less awkward especially in today's age where most of us are working from home. He even mentions in the book, like, it's probably easier over email or Teams message when you're not in person. Um, So if you're still working from home, use that to your advantage too, to kind of lessen the awkwardness. The next part in the book, so I kind of explained essence, explore. The next one's eliminate. So after you explore all your possibilities, all your priorities, and kind of understand what is essential. Now it's time to eliminate. So you need to eliminate the non-essential. It's one thing to understand the things you want to get rid of, but it's another to actually eliminate them. He kicks off this section by just explaining that clarity is very important. Uh, One decision can make a thousand decisions. So by saying no to one thing, you really eliminate all the branches that would come from saying yes to that decision. Um, And this is the section where he really gave the art of the graceful no, so kind of gave those examples of how to say no, which I I reviewed. Also explains that it's okay to uncommit to something you already committed to. Again, this is very hard to do, and I know it is because you never want to go back on your word. But he comes back to you time and time again in the book that 
saying no now and dealing with that awkwardness and maybe hit to your pride now will just be so much better for you in the long run as opposed to keeping at it and saying, oh no, I can still do it. I already put so much time and energy into this. I'll have to make it work. Just cut it off. Cut your losses if you know it's something you need to step away from or deprioritize or not do anymore. He also goes into editing your life, goes into a really big metaphor of editors of movies and TV shows and how they, their whole purpose and their craft is eliminating the non-essential, eliminating what's not important to the plot, what won't make the plot better or progress the plot. And you can be the editor of your own life. What really helps with that too is setting boundaries. So not letting other people's problems become your own by letting people keep their problems you're actually helping them as opposed to taking on their problems they won't even know they had a problem in the first place and they'll just think it wasn't even a problem because you gave them the solution so that's helpful too when you need to uncommit to something is kind of having that mindset shift of by me uncommitting I'm empowering someone else to take that on to lead it to figure it out to solution for it to have that win that they need that I don't need because I need the time and energy back for my essential things. You know, that thing is not essential to me, but it might be essential to someone else to take on. So let them take it on. That's a very important lesson for me as a person who is a type one on the Enneagram and wants to do everything, wants the credit for the thing, wants to be on top, wants to always be the winner. I have to understand that if I'm the winner for everything, I'm really the winner for nothing because I won't have the time to put in to the thing that I can really succeed in. So letting others succeed in their place, in their expertise, in their space, and giving me back the time to succeed in my place, what I can best succeed in using my expertise and my interest. And the last big section of the book is executing Um, So clearly you need to explore and understand what's non-essential versus essential in your life. You need to eliminate the non-essential and then you need to execute on the essential. You can't just eliminate and sit with the essential. You need to do something with it. Um, So creating buffers, subtracting, getting into flow, getting into focus. He dives into a lot of good practices here on on how to execute on your essentials. Um, And I think this process is always going right it's it's cyclical it's a circle it's not like you explore eliminate and execute once and you're done Um, even when you're executing you're constantly still evaluating and exploring what's non-essential versus essential and eliminating the non-essential because opportunities come to us constantly it's not like we get one opportunity at the beginning of the year or several and need to decide and that's what we work on for the whole year. <laughs> every every week, if not every day, we are given new opportunities that we need to decide what to do with them. I just really liked the book. It just really got me thinking on the things I need to say no to and reprioritize. And that can be hard because some of the things I need to say no to or adjust to get time back are important things to me. But are they the most important? Are they the priority? No. So I need to eliminate them so that I can execute all my essential things. And I think having this mindset will really help you excel in your career and continue to succeed and kind of keep your eye on the prize, eye on that ball, and not be distracted by all of the non-essential things that come our way. So I highly encourage you to 
pick up this book. Again, it's an easy read in the sense that it's very easy to digest and there are a ton of actionable things to do that are very helpful that you can start doing today. Um, so I highly recommend picking it up. It's Essentialism by Greg McEwen and it's The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. Highly, highly recommend. I think he has another book I want to pick up as well. Um, and I'll probably pick up this book again in a few months and kind of reread it to see what I missed the first time. But yeah, I think one of the first things I'm going to start doing is, it sounds simple, but I think I first need to get some time back in my schedule to even have the time to explore and eliminate some of the non-essentials. And I think one of the things I can do is kind of restructuring the one-on-ones I have with team members. And this is actually really hard for me to do because I love one-on-ones. I think they're very important to catch up with the rest of my team and understand what they have going on, bounce ideas off of them. And so I think I'm just going to readjust the frequency of those one-on-ones so I get some time back. And I can also think of it as giving them time back as well. Um, I don't want to eliminate them completely because, again, I do really think they are one of my essential things. But I think I can limit the frequency of them and start there just to give myself time back to, again, start to explore my essentials eliminate the non-essentials and and execute on what I identified as essential. This book really, really helped me, had a lot of great learnings. I'm still thinking about it. I just wanted to do a podcast episode kind of giving my raw rambly thoughts on it and perhaps I'll do a, a part two when inspiration strikes again or an update on some of the things I've been doing based on what I learned from this book. But if you're interested, feel free to pick it up. Let me know your thoughts on it, if you've read it, or your thoughts on my thoughts that I shared in this episode, either on an Instagram or Facebook comment or in a review on the Apple Podcast app. Again, I really appreciate you guys listening. And remember, less is more. Say no. <laughs> Protect your time. Make your own choices. Don't let others choose and prioritize for you. Take your time back. You are the owner of your life. So embrace that. <laughs> but again, thank you all. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and I will talk to you next week. Bye.